Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Days ago, amen, since we were transitioning to connect groups and we were so close to the end of John that I might switch over to finish that out on Sunday morning. Welcome to the continuation of John on Sunday morning here. There's just a couple of chapters left, but I want to turn to John chapter number 20, John chapter number 20, and I'll read just a few verses of scripture as we continue here in the book of John, John 20, I'm going to read verses one and two, and then I'm going to skip down. Uh, the Bible kind of goes back and forth between Mary Magdalene and Peter and John. And so I'm going to keep Mary's account here together. John 20 and verse number one. Glad to see Erica with us today. And uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Yes. Your name is slipping me and the spirit of discernment isn't on me. But we're so happy to have you with us today in the house of the Lord. Amen. And to any other guests that we may have, amen. Appreciate you today in the house of the Lord. Please, I apologize. Verse number one, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher. And see if the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Skipping down to verse number 11. But Mary stood without. What, what happened in between Peter and John ran to the tomb. They both end up going in. They go back home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And see of two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself, and saith to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. For I'm not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascended to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. The last time we were in the book of John, we talk about being crucified and dying and burying. This morning, I want to talk to you about resurrection response resurrection response hallelujah father 
We're grateful, Lord, for your tender mercies. We're grateful, Lord, for your grace, Lord, that you share with us day by day. I pray, oh, Lord, that you're able to help us, Lord, in our walk today through your word. God, let the word become alive, Lord, in our lives and in our hearts. God, and we'll not fail to thank you, Lord Jesus, for it, God, and its application to us. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Everyone say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Chapter 20 of John really encircles or encapsulates the responses many different people to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ or at least their their response to an empty tomb as you read through chapter 20 you'll read as I have read this morning of Mary Magdalene's response Peter and John's response uh, the rest of the disciples response and also um, kind of picked out Thomas's response as well to the risen Savior they all will eventually see Jesus in his resurrected form They all see him in his resurrected form. And Jesus, partly because after his resurrection, the book of Acts tells us this, that Jesus will shoot himself alive after his passion for 40 days. By many infallible proofs, he'll shoot himself to be alive. And he does so. And so there's many that see him at one time. I think it's in Corinthians, the Bible says, above 500 that witness the Lord. And so John has very carefully for us, carefully crafted for us a story involving different signs or miracles or wonders throughout the scriptures in John we realize he doesn't share everything that some of the other gospels shares but there are some that he shares for instance in chapter number two and these are chapters that we've already studied and read but in chapter two he records the sign or the miracle of turning water to wine Uh, we read in chapter four of the nobleman's son being miraculously cured we read in chapter number five of a sick man that is healed in Chapter 6, the, the multitude of 5,000 are fed. We see also in 6 that that's where there's the walking on the sea that takes place. In chapter 9, a blind man is healed. And then in chapter 11, Lazarus, amen, is raised from the dead. And so that is the last sign that John shares with us until he shares the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the last, the last sign he shared was a resurrection. And now this sign is the resurrection of Christ. Christ from the dead. Amen. And so it's tremendous. And so this, though, last sign we might call it in the the book of John is the capstone of all the other signs. It's the capstone of the blind eyes being opened, those that are diseased being cured. This is the capstone of what John could share with us. And it gives meaning to the key verse, what I have deemed throughout our study the king verse of the gospel of John that I have rehearsed time and again with you, which is found in chapter number 20. In chapter number 20, verses 30 and 31, really uh, this, this couplet of key verses here says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book but these are written those that were shared are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ particularly this resurrection sign of the Lord himself the son of God and that believing ye might have life through his name and so every sign from the beginning of John now to chapter number 20 has been trying to reveal to the followers and the people of their day that Jesus Christ was more than the carpenter's son, more than just a typical man, that he was God manifest in the flesh. And ultimately, the sign of his resurrection, 
uh, should and ought to seal that concept for us. Uh, there, there can be no more of a significant sign shared than the Lord resurrecting from the dead. Jesus told uh, in the New Testament scripture, there were people that were always looking for a sign, seeking a sign. Jesus show us a sign. And he would tell the sign seekers, uh, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees that came to him. He said, no sign is going to be given this generation. No sign is going to be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonas, which he's speaking of Jonah, which is the prophet Jonas who, who was in the well's belly, according to the scripture, for three days and three nights nights and he said likewise shall the son of man be in the earth or the heart of the earth for three days and three nights read it if you will in Matthew 12 and verse number 38 then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. And he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so, whereas the generation of Scripture... This generation of scripture, whereas that generation could actually see the risen Savior, right? Because they had interaction with him for several days before he ascended into the heavens. We, though, still on this side of Calvary, we still have a sign of his resurrection as well. And that's an empty tomb. That's a vacant, void, empty tomb. And so just as John was highlighting the responses of different ones to the risen Savior, Savior or an empty tomb. I implore us today to ask ourselves, what is our response? What is our response to an empty tomb? And so Mary Magdalene is our character here today that goes to this tomb early in the morning while it is yet dark. And it was customary in their day for a person to visit the tomb of the deceased uh, for three days after the body had been buried. That's just, that's not peculiar. That's not incident. That's just the way that God just intersects everything throughout time. And so they could not go, of course, on the Sabbath day because it would be a journey too far for them to go according to the law. If they went that far, they would be breaking the law. And so they lay Christ in the grave. Mary sees that. Amen. Whenever that occurs, she's not able to go on the Sabbath due to the law. And so at the next opportunity, while it is yet dark, she's going to go to the tomb. And this Mary Magdalene that I am talking about is the one that Luke describes as the woman that Jesus had cast seven devils out of sometime in the past. And so she arrives at the tomb, Bishop, while it is yet dark. It's early in the morning. Uh, according to some of the other gospels, you read the story and that she may have traveled with some other women, but nonetheless, it seems as though she must have pulled, pushed ahead of, of the others and got there before anybody else. And she arrives. This is, again, no word in scripture should be ignored, right? Uh, it's there for a purpose. And she arrived while it was dark. The other women got there sometime later, but she arrives while it is dark. Peter and John, they're going to come a little time later as well. And undoubtedly, amen, she reaches the tomb when it was dark. Others reached it then when it was more daylight. Nevertheless, 
I think uh, the, 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 it's not the mystery, but the, the, the awe of the whole resurrection story is this, that whether it was dark or light, day or night, they witnessed the power of the resurrection by something not being there, by the empty tomb. And so what I want to convey here at this particular juncture this morning is that in our own lives, when we witness the resurrection, when we witness the resurrection, people have times of witnessing the power of the resurrection or a risen Lord at different stages in their life. What I'm saying is this, life may be dark right now. Life may be looming with darkness right now, but that does not mean you cannot witness the power of the resurrection while it is yet... Thing, you might not be on top of your game right now. Maybe you are. Maybe it's daytime for you. Maybe it's light and everything's all right in the world and right in your life. You know what? You can still witness the power of the resurrection and experience it. It doesn't matter. What I urge this morning is this, that you, you witness it sooner than later. Hey Amen. At all costs, experience the power of a risen Lord, whether it's day or whether it's night, because your experience of his resurrection, let's just face it, some people come to God whenever life is turned upside down. It's like all the other venues of life have closed and they've tried everything and life is hopeless and they feel like there's no answers and they meet the Lord, a risen Savior, in their dark hour. And there's others, though, life is great. They have all the money in the world they'd ever want and they got their house and their car. But again, a new day breaks across the horizon and they meet the Lord then. The fact of the matter is we all need an empty tomb, a part of our life. We all need an empty tomb, a part of our life, so that, as John said, we can believe and acquire life through the name of the one that's no longer there. Amen. And so Mary was among some of the last ones, we read of Scripture, some of the last ones that left Calvary. And yet she was one of the first ones to appear at his resurrection. Matthew even describes her that she was sitting over against the sepulcher whenever Jesus was laid to rest and the stone was put in place. Matthew 27 and verse 60 says, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. It's speaking of Joseph Arimathea, who took the body of Jesus and laid him in his own new, new tomb, which had been hewn out in the rock. And he wrote a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And it says, and there was Mary Magdalene and the other, Mary sitting over against the sepulcher they had witnessed where Jesus was laid I don't know about Mary I mean she at one time had right seven devils in her she may have been adventurous an adventurous lady because she saw the stone rode over the grave door we know according to scripture it was sealed with a Roman seal we understand that they put guards there to watch the tomb and watch the grave. And yet Mary frolics off in the morning hours while it is yet dark to the tomb. She knew where he was laid. She wanted to finish, if you will, some of the anointing of the body of Jesus. And Mark records that as she and some of the other women were headed that direction, they begin to talk among themselves because they were there when he was laid to rest. I wonder, I, I wonder who might be able to roll away the stone, right? Because I don't know about you, Mary. I haven't been to the gym lately. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? And we've seen these people that rode this stone in front of the door. And so I'm just wondering uh, who's going to roll away the stone. Because the Bible says they knew, they, you can read of it in Mark, they knew it was a great stone. Right? We're not talking about a pebble here. They knew it was a big stone and it was very great. The Bible says, look at it. Mark 16, verse 3 and 4. And, and I'm doing this on purpose. Sometimes I'll go through lessons and I just kind of reference stuff. And it's in the Bible, but I never tell you. And so I'm trying to hit it today. Because sometimes I think it's important that what I say, you see it here. All right? I could give you my notes and show you all the references I have behind sentences of what the scripture is. But sometimes it's important for you to look with your own eyes. And they said among themselves, who shall roll, roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away for it was very great. They got there. What they were wondering about was already taken care of. What was very gray and sizable, the stone had already been taken away from the sepulcher when Mary Magdalene arrived. Now, what is, what is tremendous about this, in my estimation, is if you go back to John 11, the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, and Jesus is taken, he said, take me to where you laid him, and they take Jesus to where they laid Lazarus, and there's a big stone even at his grave. He says to those that are around, he said, take away, ye take away the stone. He had others remove the stone from Lazarus' grave. Yet in Matthew 28, we read that the angel of the Lord had come down. There was an earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down, and it rode back the stone to Jesus' grave. I know a lot of times we think Jesus is the one that rode stone, but the angel of the Lord came down, earthquake, and whenever it rode it back, that wasn't, listen very clearly, that wasn't for the purpose of letting Jesus out. That was for the purpose of letting everybody else in. Whenever they rode away the stone, there was already no Jesus apparent. The tomb was already empty. He had already risen. The rolling back of the stone was for our identification that it is empty and allowing us in the tomb where Jesus had been in the tomb. Because we need to be buried with him in baptism. It's allowing us in. Someone say amen. Amen. So if you, I, I'm confident of this today. Amen. If you make your way to the tomb, if you make your way to the grave, I guarantee you, I guarantee you this morning that if you pursue that and if you will do that, that the Lord will help clear a path for you. That he'll ensure some of the most significant obstructions are cleared by the time that you arrive right here. And let me tell you how the obstructions are cleared in modern day church. Through repentance. As you repent, guess what? The stone begins to roll. Yes, yes, that which was very great, insurmountable, an obstruction, not allowing you to the tomb whenever you repent. That's the reason why repentance is so important before we baptize you in Jesus' name because repentance in many regards rose the stone back so that we can have access to the tomb and get, oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Yes, it will be a cleared path because there's people People provide all types. I've heard it over my years of ministry that people provide all types of reasons why they can't have a relationship with God. The reason why uh, they, they reason away sometimes their hopes of a new life in Christ. But if you will pursue it, Christ will help create the path for it. Because it's, it's not his will that any should perish. Right? 
Amen. But that we would all come by into the way of repentance. He wants us, Brother Chris, to have life through his name. Amen. And so Mary shows up. The stone is removed. She stoops down to look in. She, she even suspects when she sees the stone removed that someone has taken away the body of the Lord. At least that's what she told Peter and John when she ran back to where they were to tell them. And we'll come back to Peter and John in a moment. But according to verse number 11, again, she somewhere after she ran and told Peter and John, she makes her way back to the tomb. She, she, she tells us uh, in verse 10, it tells us that Peter and John returned home after they had been to the empty tomb. But while they went home, Mary stood there. Mary remained there. Mary's outside of the tomb. She is weeping Indeed, she was thankful that the Lord wasn't there, but the question that was begging to answer in the back of her mind is this, where is he? And so she stoops, she looks inside. The Bible says she sees the angel sitting at the head and at the foot of where Jesus' body would have been laid, which for her and probably any uh, New Testament, Old Testament Jew was a picture of the mercy seat that was upon the Ark of the Covenant where the Bible describes on one side was this cherubim, on one side was this cherubim looking down at the mercy seat where the presence and the power of God typically revealed itself. And so she almost has a Ark of the Covenant picture before her. Here's an angel on this side and an angel on this side where the body of Jesus had been laid. Right here where the blood of atonement would normally be sprinkled on the Ark, it's right here. It, it came to be known as the throne of God. If I say it like this, Jesus' empty tomb has become our mercy seat. Jesus' empty tomb has become our mercy seat because that is where atonement has been made for us. That doesn't have to be redone a year from now. It's good. It's efficient. It's sufficient. And so Mary's concern was that where is the body of Jesus now? She wants to know. She's asking even the angels, just, just tell me. Tell me where you've laid him and I, I, I'll get him. She, she wants to ensure that the body of the Lord is taken care of. As a matter of fact, Jesus shows up in his resurrected form. She doesn't quite recognize him, all right? He talks to her. She supposes him to be the gardener, all right? We know in, 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 in Corinthians that what we put in the ground and what comes out of the ground, the, the likeness of them are somewhat different, all right? Not the same glory, not the same likeness, so she doesn't recognize him. The resurrected body of Jesus wasn't exactly like the buried body of Jesus. And so think for a moment. It'd be kind of hard because the last time that Mary saw the Lord, he's on the cross. He has these woundings on his body. He's been, been, been beaten quite brutally and there's blood and so on and so forth. And so there is a little bit different look now to him than what there was. And she's even telling Jesus, which she don't recognize, she's saying, I, I'll take away the body. Tell me where it's at and I'll take care of it. Now again, I'm saying Mary must have been a little adventurous because she had to be driven by love, number one, to show up so early, to go back and linger as others left, but to want to take the body of Jesus. But understand, this is coming from the fountainhead of a woman that had been possessed by seven devils. Love will do things that acquaintances won't. 
She has been benefited grandly by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she's wanting to reciprocate in some way if she can to help because this man had intervened in her life, had set her free. And at that moment, when you have been set free, you got to ask yourself the question, how far are you willing to go to show gratitude for that freedom? And so Mary's saying, Lord, you just, you just tell me where he's at, and I'll take him away. Do you understand the undertaking that she's speaking of right here and maybe just not really calculating? Let's just say she's going to carry away the lifeless body of a man by herself. Let's say Jesus weighed 150 pounds. I'm just throwing that out there. She's this lady. I don't know. Maybe she was all that in the side of rice or something. I don't know. But this lady is going to somehow manage 150 pounds of a lifeless body of a man. Uh, Bishop, Bishop J.D. Sizemore years ago preached a sermon called Love feels no load. There were men that took Jesus off the cross. Joseph Arimathea Nicodemus prepared his body and put him in the grave. And yet this solitary woman says, just tell me where he's at. And I'll take care of his body. If he's 150 pounds, whatever he was, I'm going to take this weight this dead weight, and I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take him away, as Bishop Sizemore said years ago, because love feels no load. He, in her mind, it wasn't going to be burdensome because I know what he did years ago when I was possessed, and he intervened, and he interrupted my path, and he said, amen, amen. She, she had experienced the weight of seven devils. She said, surely I can help just one Savior. Whew. Carrying the load of the Lord, it ain't going to be nothing compared to what he did. Someone say amen. What, Sister Gina Viria, she wrote, and the song's been sung around here before, that he's not a burden to me. When, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. When you think what you've been relieved of, when you think what you've been set free from, when you think of the life change that he introduced into your life, it doesn't seem much taking him and everything he represents and everything that he stands for. It's no trial to us or shouldn't be. It's no encumbrance to us or it shouldn't be. It is a privilege to bear the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo. What love. And yet Jesus didn't leave her over in left field as he was supposed to be the gardener. He's been supposed to be a lot. We've labeled him many things rather than label him who he was. I've heard people call it luck and chance. What you don't recognize was that's Jesus. I've seen people believe that it was their talent and skill and ability. You've just mislabeled. That's G. Oh, it's just because I, 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 I've ran the hierarchy of education and I secured that job. And you supposed him to be the gardener. That. Amen. 
Jesus, though, he says Mary's name. And in the moment that he speaks her name, she recognizes him. It's what we've gleaned from former scriptures about the sheep and shepherd analogies of Christ and his church. That the sheep know their shepherd's voice. Stranger, they will not follow. And not only do they know their shepherd's voice, their shepherd knows the name of the sheep. The Bible says in John 10, 3 and 4, to him the porter openeth, speaking of the shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice. In this relationship with the Lord, you want to know his voice, and you want him to know your name. Amen. Let me say it like this. Sheep-shepherd relationship is like that. You know his voice, and he knows your name. He calleth his own sheep by name. And she responded by saying, Rabboni is what we say in English. It's really Hebrew. And the scripture says this is to say master. We know, Brother Mason, that this is even more particular, that this is my master. This is very personal. This is my master. And so she returns now to the disciples to tell them that, hey, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. So Peter and John... When they went, they saw the clothes, they saw an empty tomb, they saw the napkin wrapped together by itself, but Mary lingered at the tomb, and she saw the Lord. Amen. And I realize the days of Jesus' earthly ministry are over. In our days, I, I realize his earthly ministry, being down here in flesh and blood, that is over. And I know that he ascended on high according to the scriptures. However, I am persuaded by Mary that if we continue at the tomb, if we linger at the tomb in a sense, we will also see the Lord and recognize him when he calls our name. So, so that isn't though the story for everyone. Mary's story is not everyone's story. Just the same as your story is my, not my story. So Mary's story is not everybody's story, but it is her story. And it may, it could possibly be your story. Because she recognized him when she heard him call her name. Everybody's witness of the resurrection happens differently. I'm just wondering today, has the Lord been calling anyone's name? Has he been addressing you specifically? That thing that you tried to shrug off? No. It's the pizza I ate around midnight last night. Eh. Maybe he's calling your name. Maybe he's trying to get you to recognize him. Hmm? Maybe he's trying to stir some belief in you. He wants to give you again. His hopes is to give you life through his name. Look now at verse number 3 of John 20. Verse number 3. I want to go back and pick up. Don't want to leave Peter and John out there running around. We've got to place them down somewhere. Peter, therefore, this is after Mary spoke to them. Peter, therefore, went forth and that other disciple and come to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter. So we had a little race. And came first to the sepulcher, and he, notably John, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went not in. 
Then come Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and see if the linen cloths lie and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, he saw and believed for as yet they knew not the sepulcher, the scripture rather, that we, he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So when we go back to verse number three and pick back up the account of Peter and John, Peter and John ran to the tomb. John outruns Peter. He arrives there first. He stoops down. He looks in, but he does not go into the tomb. He, from his stoop-down position looking into the tomb, saw the linen, the linen clothes there. However, whenever Peter arrived, oh, no, he was sucking air or something. Peter arrived, all right, John outran him. Peter arrived. He doesn't just look in, but he goes into the tomb. He likewise sees the linen the linen clothes there and the napkin that would normally be around the head uh, wrapped together by itself in a place. Please note, both in verses 5 and verse number 11, the Bible describes John and it also describes Mary as stooping down to see in the tomb. Typical tomb entrances were not like a six, eight door frame that you walked into in, Old Test, in, in, in biblical times. The tomb entrance was regularly less than three foot tall. Regularly than three foot tall. Thus John had to crouch down to look into the tomb just like Mary had to to look into the tomb they're crouching down to see those linen clothes that lay in there as a matter of fact history tells me that one would almost this was interesting just for me probably only alone but history says one would almost need to crawl to get inside the tomb what i'm saying is there is a sense of humility that has to happen There's a sense of humility, Sister Pat, that has to happen in order to get into the tomb. Whenever I step into that water, arrogance is gone. When I step into that water, selfishness is gone. Pride is bowing. Woo! Amen. Everything that I stood for. <laughs> Think about it for a moment. Think about it, just even in water baptism. A pastor or someone, you know, you are surrendering yourself in a moment of going under a watery grave of baptism and back up. There is a humility, amen, that happens in that. And so the Bible says now that the linen clothes were there and the napkin was there. Both Peter and John saw this. And this is what, this is what separates you. This alone, this along with many other things. But this is one of the many things that separates Jesus from all others. Again, I go back to the last sign that we had in John to the other resurrection of Lazarus, right? And I go back to John 11 and the Bible says, of course, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out of the tomb. But what is he still bound in? His grave clothes. So much so that he had to say, to others that were around about, lose him and let him go. And they had to strip those linen cloths off of Lazarus for his total freedom. But in Jesus' resurrection story, 
those grave clothes and cloths are still laying in the tomb. That napkin that was about his head is still laying in the tomb. If I'd say it like this, no one had to loose him. And no one had to let him go. And common sense to a certain degree tells us that if someone had came in to try to rob his body, I'm sure they were not going to sit there and take the time to take these cloths off one by one. And we're going to wrap this napkin together and we'll make a swan. And you understand what I'm saying? We're not, we're not going to leave this. They're going to be in haste, right? Amen. The Lord resurrected out of all of that without any help, without anybody having to loose him and let him go. And so the Bible says, after Peter, John entered also and saw all of what was in there and believed. John walks in. He investigates the tomb, the evidence that was left, and he believes. Nope. John believes before he ever sees the resurrected Christ. Our good old gospel writer here, John, believes before he ever sees the resurrected Christ. Just seeing the empty tomb and the evidence that was left upon that, John believes. I pray today, really, our response should parallel very closely John's response. Because I, I'm not in a position that I'm going to see visually the resurrected Lord, but I can see what's been left, the evidence that's been left, the evidence that even John himself has left through the gospel of John and in the Bible I can see the void and the vacancy of the emptiness of where Christ was this is really our position we live again during the era we're not seeing the Lord physically amen but we do see the evidences of what is left or perhaps what is not left and so we have the we have the record of the gospel the record of the scripture including the resurrection of Jesus Christ I want to be a John that starts to look around I see that was left that is left and he's not here I believe I believe. I believe. I don't need any other token. I don't need any other convincing. I don't know. I believe. And believing, hopefully, that you would have life through his name. Jesus had several times had told his disciples about the suffering that he would endure, his death, his resurrection on the third day, about all of these types of things. And so we scratch our head a little bit whenever we come uh, to, to verse number Verse number, wherever it is, verse number eight, nine, rather, when it talks about they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead because Jesus had suffered with them several things. But the Old Testament scriptures, which would be all they had at this point in time, the Old Testament scriptures were declaring of a coming Messiah. And there's those found in the Psalms and other places concerning the Messiah that the Messiah was going to rise from the dead. And so they did not know, meaning this, literally there in the Greek, that they did not understand everything concerning this Messiah raising from the dead. They didn't realize it, didn't understand it, which again pricks my spirit concerning John. Because, listen to me, he saw and he believed something he did not understand. He saw and he believed something he did not understand. You can do that. You can believe something that you don't understand. You can do that. The old song we used to sing years ago. I haven't heard it sung forever. But we, we sang it years ago. I got it. I got it. 
There's something about the power of the Holy Ghost. I can't explain it, but I got it. (laughs) You don't have to understand to believe. You don't have to understand to believe, but you must believe and you must obey to receive. You don't, have to, you, don't have to, you don't have to understand to believe, but you got to believe and you got to obey in order to receive. And so everyone, everyone has a response to an empty tomb. Again, yours may not be mine. All right. But if the result causes us to believe and obey, then our lives have been made better by it. Mary responded differently from John. She recognized him when he spoke her name. John looks at the evidence that's there and not there, and he believes. John was convinced by what was left. The Bible says that Peter, he saw what John saw, right? We don't really read much more. He saw what John saw, and he, he went home. But we all need the impact of an empty tomb. If you'll stand with me this morning, and we'll look at perhaps, well, not next week. Next week's Father's Day. So it'll be be a few weeks (laughs) that I'll be back after all that and talk to you again. We'll talk about some of the other responses, such as the other disciples and Thomas, to empty tomb. We need a response. Empty tomb needs to be a part of life. Why? 1 Corinthians 15 is a very, very good example. 1 Corinthians 15 is a dialogue all about the resurrection, it being truthful, it being an honest report, it happening. If it didn't happen, what are, what are the fallout with all of that? And these are just a couple of the verses, but 1 Corinthians 15 is wonderful. All the Bible is. But verse 14, the Bible says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain, Look at verse 17. And if Christ be not risen, raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Without the resurrection, namely without his resurrection, we are in our sins. Without the resurrection, we are preaching a message with no hope. Without the resurrection, our faith is a fraud. It's a farce. It it has no content or meaning without the resurrection. We all need an empty tomb in our life to empower the preaching, to substantiate your faith, and to get you up out of your sins. We need the proper response to the resurrection. Can we bow our heads here today? Oh, God, there may be sitting someone under the sound of my voice this morning. You could be a Mary Magdalene or perhaps an Apostle John or Peter. You could be anyone that's in need of a intersection with the resurrection. You may need new life to happen inside of you. You may need to witness how old things have been passed away. And behold, all things can become new, even for you. And it doesn't matter if it's light. It doesn't matter if it's dark right now in your life. You can witness the power of a resurrection. You can approach a tomb where a stone can be rolled away. Amen. By virtue 
virtue of repentance and crying out to God concerning your old ways and past. Maybe you've had something and he's intervened and you want to follow through on baptism in his name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That can happen today. That can happen for your life. It is not for a select few. It's not for a certain race or a certain category of people. It is for whosoever will. And we all need an empty tomb in our life. Hallelujah. Can we just begin to pray right now this morning? Father, I come to you. Lord, we need the power of your spirit in our life. We need the power and the evidence, Lord, of a resurrection. Lord, that we can acknowledge and know, call our name. Lord, if it's necessary, God, to bring, Lord, our attention so that we will recognize you, Lord, for who you are. I pray, oh God, today, help us, Lord, to see clearly. God, we may have supposed you and labeled you as this or that when all along it has been you. I pray, Master, today, God, be with your people. Help them, Lord, experience the power of an empty tomb of salvation. Lord, of remitting and removal of sin, Lord Jesus, for life. I pray, God, will not fail to thank you and appreciate you, God, for the power of your resurrection. God, it emboldens our faith. It brings, Lord Jesus, power, God, to our declaration of your word. And God, it helps us, Lord, up out of our sins. And we're thankful for that today. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, hallelujah and amen. The church say amen. Amen. God bless you this morning in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Church tonight. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.